Welcome to our podcast, Stepping into Shakespeare, a podcast journey with the Bard. In this podcast, we are talking about how we approach the play Hamlet as actors, what we learn along the way, and we share our experiences. I am Therese Doria, a Swiss actress based in the UK. And I'm Sarah Lynn Dawson, a British actress based in LA. The purpose of this podcast is to document our rehearsal process with reading Hamlet. Today we are talking about the characters of Claudius, Horatio and Rosencrantz. Our guest is Andy Dabboli, a very talented American actor who has a great career in both film and television. Some of his best-known projects include The Odds, Welcome to Collingwood and The Sopranos. Welcome Andy to our podcast. So how did you first get interested in Shakespeare? I was on a movie back in, was it 2003, 2004? It was called Warm Springs. It was an HBO film about Franklin Roosevelt. And I was blessed to be cast in that film. It's about how he had gotten polio and was like this kind of arrogant politician and was humbled through this experience for years and went down to these hot springs in Georgia to, you know, to rehabilitate. And so he was able to connect with um, the regular people that made him, you know, more of the man that he ended up becoming. And um, it was played by Kenneth Branagh. Do you work with Kenneth Branagh? <laughs> yeah, which, which at that point I hadn't done any Shakespeare. Um, you know, I had seen um, Looking for Richard and, you know, I studied it in high school and all that stuff in college, but I just was still gun shy. You know, this, this, this concept of an American actor doing Shakespeare, you have to do an accent, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, after that experience, I was like, you know what, let me just, it was a bit of a God shot here. Let me jump into a class. And I was training at, you know, one of the apprentices of Stella Adler out here in LA. And he had a great Shakespeare, you know, six week foundation mm-hmm. where you learn a sonnet and um, you learn the sonnet in your own words first. And then we did things like mask work and put mats down on the ground and we're doing all kinds of animal work and, and just found a great joy and comfort in playing with that. And um and then I was like, wait, wait a second. So it's like, it's, I'm joking, but it sounds a little bit like Yoda speak. Like once your ear kind of tunes into it, it, it kind of makes sense. And it's mm-hmm. just much more eloquent and a higher level of thought. And so that's, that's kind of how it began. And then I ended up doing um, Twelfth Night in Balboa Park where I played Festy. And I think we made a real muck of it, but it was still a great experience, you know? And that's, that's how awesome. It yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. And so you, in the reading, you were reading Claudius. Yes. Uh, which is the uncle of Hamlet. And he has a, he stole the title and wife and everything. So how did you experience reading him? And how did you prepare for it? I had a good conversation with Frank about it. He just kept, he was focusing on the fact that you're a king. You're a king. And I was like, why does he keep talking about being a king? Because he guy just, you know, he stole it. But there is kind of like, I started like looking up how, you know, kings posture themselves or royalty, the way they hold their hands behind and and if your family, you know, kind of, you, you know, in your family that you're born into this kind of like upper echelon thing. So that was one approach, although we are seated when we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I wanted to like, where does the king live in me? Because it's like, then it can be like, I have to be a king. I have to go out here. And um, mm-hmm. the other thing is the way that obviously very conniving and manipulative, but he has these moments of half repentance, let's say, because he doesn't want to give up the crown or his yeah. wife, but yeah. he has this like conscience that, that he is you know, praying and, and uh, doing his act of contrition, so to speak, with God. But that, I found that interesting. And then um, 
you know, the tale as old as time. I mean, the Cain and Abel aspect, you know, the primal eldest curse of, you know, killing one's brother. So there's a bit of scar in there, you know, from the Lion King. And um, so I just let those things try to seep into my unconscious. The words are so heightened, as we know. And so they do so much work for us. Get out of the way and then play. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that because I think like with Claudius, he kind of like makes an effort to repent, but then he's like, but I'm not going to give anything up. So like, it's just like a half. That's like that narcissism thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like it might feel guilty because he's feeling bad for himself, but not what he did to anybody else. You know, I mean, obviously true, true apology or, you know, reconciliation is to come back and own up to everything. And um, so he wants his cake and eat it too, you know? I mean, what an interesting villain, right? I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. the fact that he does have that moment where he tries to apologize or pray. um, Yeah. Well, I think Shakespeare's characters, they're not black and white. You know, they're so layered. You can't say like he's totally bad. Like he has good moments like everybody. Um, And I think even Hamlet has moments where he's like completely not exactly the hero. He's like the anti-hero, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's more complex to dive mm -hmm. in. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, I think that's what's great about Shakespeare is you don't get, like, black and white like you do in Hollywood, you know. It's, like, very deep but, characters. I kept thinking, too, was, like, did, was he thinking for years about, you know, maybe... maybe exactly. For Gertrude, maybe he was in love with her, like, in high school or, you know, in a younger thing, and then his brother married her, and, like, you know how these seeds can be planted uh-huh. in, in someone, and if they're not taken care of, they you know, it becomes a whole, like, agenda that finally, you know, so it was obviously the title... And that was another thing, right? Unless you're not, unless you're the firstborn, you would not be the king, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's just it's amazing what human ambition, right, can do. Mm-hmm. Thing once that one of the great things about Shakespeare is like we know, like if you're like dirt poor and broke, like yes, these are real struggles too. But the fact that also you could be the wealthiest in the world and still be struggling and have these things, or is why Shakespeare wanted to tackle so much of like royalty in, in that you know, level of social mm-hmm. like place. Yeah, it's true. I think like, honestly, everybody has problems. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. You know, mm-hmm. no amount of money in the world or status, you know, there's still, it's still Thursday. We got to like do what we got to do, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. But I think also Shakespeare has a lot about power in his place. Yeah. You know, everybody is like thirsting for power. They want to yeah. kill everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Mm-hmm. things they'll do to do it to get it you know yeah yeah we actually don't know a lot about the relationship before be- right. before Claudius and the father of Hamlet we don't know if they had a good childhood if they had like long-lasting conflicts or anything right I mean it makes you think of, it makes me think of my yeah. own siblings and stuff like that and you could see how those threads can start early on and um so. if not handled properly they could turn to you know to something not good Turn into Hamlet's. <laughs> the play is really interesting. You know, the whole thing is yeah. just mm-hmm. a lot of stuff happening. It's so fun to revisit these things too. I mean, you know, yeah. different age and more experience in life. And see, you see things, yeah. I definitely see things differently. When you were reading Claudius, was there like a line which made an impression on you? Or do you yes. remember? Yeah. Yeah. The, the line, when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. And the reason is I didn't I didn't remember that that was Claudius's line. I had used that um, in referencing troubled times in my life. And so I was like, wow, it's from Hamlet and that's Claudius. And I, you know, Frank asked me to read Claudius. So 
So I just always love that because it's kind of like yeah. it's a poetic line, but how sometimes when things are going wrong or it could feel like like Murphy's Law, like everything's all at once. Yeah. What a divine way to say it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so the, that one really stuck out. That's so funny because you said that about your line with Claudius and then um, Therese also read a line that she had in her head when she read Marcellus. Um, so it's interesting how this play has like, yeah, you know, people recognize stuff from their own life. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. Like it's, it's just meant to be in a way, you know, um, you, you, know, you use yeah. something and it's like the more Shakespeare we can memorize and learn. I mean, yeah. Okay, I, I told him I was doing an interview, but he's <laughs> that's fine. Sweet. <laughs> he wants what he wants. Are they learning Shakespeare already? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think they've popped up in a few readings, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But do you have like because when we talk to Manuel, he has like this monologue from Henry V that is like his like thing and I have a couple of monologues that I love from Twelfth Night do you have like a monologue or anything from Shakespeare that is in your head you know I have the sonnet the sonnet that I worked on and I still I still have that I was able to do it in um in the Greek theater in Sicily and my friend was just using an iPhone you know what I mean but you know because this theater is like 5,000 years old you know created before Christ type of and it just you know it just gives you that like timeless epic feel so we did that there. And, you know, that's one that I rattle off. Um, yeah, I started to work on the Richard III, you know, now is the winter of our discontent. Mm -hmm. I've worked on, you know, Hamlet's monologues before, but, you know, it, it inspires me to kind of like start having them in the canon, you know, because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I mean, I obviously love modern stuff, but mm -hmm. something, you know, this group of us, you know, getting together doing this, it's been so inspiring to just have such elevated language. Yeah. There's so much of life is just like in the mud, you know? So it's like when you have to reach and say something so, so, you know, just so eloquent, it's inspiring. Yeah. And how did you feel uh, saying this old English and this eloquent language? It. Was it a struggle for you or does it come easily? It was before the class. And then once I mm -hmm. took the class, it clicked for somehow it just clicked. Okay. You know? I mean, there may be Brilliant. words here and there. Of course I could look up and what did he mean by that? Um, but your mind kind of, I don't know, the mind kind of like adapts to to how mm -hmm. it's being said. Mm -hmm. It does. It's just like a its own kind of language, you know, so you get in the flow of it and you can like right. really mm -hmm. just kind of go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think with Emmanuel, we were talking about how, how it's all about the rhythm you mm -hmm. have to find. And if you That's fall right. out, it's kind of hard to understand what you actually say. That's yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. And then when you click in, you're like, wait, I'm flowing. Mm -hmm. I feel the, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. word, you know, taking me on a journey. Yeah, it's so true. And I think Shakespeare really, he knows what he's doing. You know, his writing is so brilliant. It takes you up and then down and then up. And it's like just such a journey. So as long as you're in the rhythm of it, then you know where you are in the play. So you're not like lost at what's going on, which is great. Because I think it can be super intimidating for people when they first start, because it's just Absolutely. all of this yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. There's baggage around your, what you think about it, especially depending on what culture you're raised mm -hmm. in. But that's why I credit you know, Al doing Looking for Richard. I remember seeing that in the Angelica Theater in New York City, like pre 9-11. Oh, and just wow. going on the street, interviewing people and talking to people and going to students. And and there was just this like joyful exuberance about, you know, his love of doing this language. And, and um, you know, I'm Italian-American too. So like, it was just kind of inspiring to see that from New York, you know, 
Mm-hmm. So that that was like I think where the seed was planted. Like, oh, but this this could actually be fun to do, yeah. not just like this. I have to do this in school, and I'm learning this thing because it's like to get a grade, you know. It is fun, and I was talking to. Mm-hmm. Barry recently, Barry Navidi, and he was saying like, Al is working on the monologue, um, Mark Antony from Julius Caesar, even now, right? And yeah. I'm like, he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to sit there and work on Mark Antony. It nourishes him in a way, like, you it know, does. always working on something. Mm-hmm. And as you're saying, like, you know, with other monologues and things and parts, um, whether you're on a show or a movie or a play or not, like being an actor is like, it's a lifetime process, a lifetime journey. Mm-hmm. And there's so much, there's canons of great, literature and plays for us to dive into mm-hmm. yeah definitely which is really cool i remember seeing brando do that in a movie like in my 20s i was like wow like that was like so what did he do he did mark anthony oh he, really he plays mm-hmm. mark anthony in the movie and he just comes on it. like, it's like it's breathtaking just youtube the monologue the mark anthony monologue when Mr. caesar is murdered mm-hmm. it's like fire you know he goes in wow, wow yeah. i'm gonna see that what year was that then that must have been like 19 he was young he yeah. was young. He must have been in his 20s. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And it's on YouTube. Yeah. I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's a treat. Yeah. And then you were also reading Horatio. And Horatio is the only person who survives this whole bloodbath at the end of Hamlet. That's amazing. <laughs> How did you feel reading him? Horatio to I... me is much more like, you know, it's like the best friend, the loyal friend. Yeah. That's genuine concern and is going on this journey. And so... You know, I'd like to say I'm that's more the kind of person I am. So you know, <laughs> you know. there still, still is this thing of, you know, being friends with the prince, you know, and, and being in that kind of that rhythm mm-hmm. of, you know, body language and speech and um, how that would be if your best friend was the prince. And then just to personalize it, then he just lost his dad. And we find and then this like specter shows up. I mean, how terrifying would that genuinely how terrifying would that be? Like, I know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't believe you guys. You guys are crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you using Ouija boards, you know? And, mm-hmm. and you know, bet you the temperature would change. And that's eerie. And the fact that Shakespeare uses that device to kind of key us into what's going on. A little bit of Ebenezer Scrooge moment there. So, yeah, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, it's just fun to like kind of also be like, you know, playing the villain over here. And then here's a guy, mm-hmm. you know, who's loyal to the end. And what he really thinks, like even if, because he said, don't go to the ghost. It might convince you to commit suicide or this might not be the best idea. And that's a good friend, you know? Yeah, it's like a conscience, his conscience. That's right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm Geppetto. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of traumatic for Horatio at the end, though. I mean, he's just like... That's what I thought. Like, everyone is dead and he's standing there. I mean, he must feel like... (laughs) Yeah. Man, they got to do a sequel, you know, where he's just like in therapy (laughs) for the rest of his life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) trauma yeah big trauma definitely for sure and how did you imagine his character like young young but noble and loyal Mm -hmm. uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern which Mm -hmm. are the flip side of the coin Mm -hmm. they're the same but they're not loyal and not at first I don't think you know yeah but I always remember that Tom Stoppard play or movie that you know Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead did you ever see that Mm -mm. I haven't seen it in years I remember seeing it like back in the New York days that's a good play Gary Oldman I think I think he plays Rosencrantz. I always love characters because they're just the names themselves are they're like these goofballs that get in the mix, but they're not loyal. They're, mm-hmm. they're willing to like you know be sycophants to you mm-hmm. know the king, and uh, so they can get what they need. And yeah. we'll throw their friend under the bus. 
I'm sure there's a lot of people like that. I mean, honestly. That's right. Yeah. Shakespeare knows human nature, doesn't he? So very well. I think I think of them as having kind of a bit of a slower wit, you know. So it's kind of like I saw that. I saw you did that because I cleaned it up with the edit and I could see that you did that with the character. Yeah, that was instinctual, just thinking like, how do you, you know, you're you're bouncing around and that was my intuition on that, you know. You ever see like somebody that, I don't know, it's like counting slower, you know, just having mm-hmm. your thoughts, like try to understand, gurgitate things more. But uh, yeah, I do think they're very similar though. Those two characters, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I don't know how you would mm-hmm. differ, you know. Yeah, they are pretty similar. In fact, I think you read both of them at one point. So Yeah, right, exactly. When, uh, yeah, one of our guys dropped out there. It is tricky when you've got to read more than one character because you want to bring something to it, but then you don't yeah. want to go overboard. So it's like... What does that mean? Exactly. And to have more time with the director and explore things or talk about things, you know. I've heard it done with like a very Cockney accent, which kind of makes sense, you know. If you're, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm from upstate New York, so I'm like... I don't want to like distract from my my version of that unless I have it mastered, you know. <laughs> but I think it lends itself to like a lot of different accents. Shakespeare is not, it, yeah, could, no, it shouldn't just be like RP, you know, you can do it with any accent. I think it sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, that was the big thing where the, you can approach it with, you know, with your own voice, um, obviously reach okay. up for it, but uh, yeah, don't just think you have to do it like, you know, proper this way only. That's the only way they can be done. Yeah. And I think that's what Teresa's a little concerned about, weren't you? You were worried that people would think, you know, you have an accent and people can't understand you. Yeah. Um, At the beginning, I had kind of this language barrier, but then, yeah, yeah, no. It's just not true because, like, your accent, in effect, is closer to Denmark than. Interesting. That's true. (laughs) Your unique soul, you know, both of you, your imprints on it. That's what we're drawn into. Exactly. You know, human to human, whether we're in an yeah. audience or as an actor too, you know? Yeah. Um, if, yeah. you know, if we push it away, then we're kind of like, we're almost hiding in a sense. And it's much more exactly. vulnerable. And I mean, I learned so much just reading with you guys. For me, it was fantastic. And as I said before to Sarah, I always thought like when we come on, it's only Zoom. We never met in a real room, but... Right. Already this little magic can happen. You One starts reading and the other person can click into this atmosphere. And yeah. I find that that helped me a lot to hear as well how you read, how Frank is reading. Um, yeah. I, I think this is amazing. This is like the, the acting the repeats, world. Right? I love that because like on the repeats on a play, like what's going to mm-hmm. make a difference is what we're giving to each other on that day. I mean, you know the line yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think Zoom is, it's quite good for Shakespeare because it's a lot of words. So, I mean, I know they do it on stage and I know there's action, but it's really good for audio. Like it's, yeah, it's true. Do you know what I mean? Like he has all of the exposition and all of the character building and everything is in the words. So it's, you don't need too much visual. The words are the vision. Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. Cool. Amazing. Yeah. So I think that's all our questions, right? Yeah, I think we are at the end of our questions. So So thank you so much. This is really interesting. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It's like, it's a real treat to be, to have been invited to this group. And honestly, like sometimes like you're going through life, you're doing things, going in for this or that, or, you know, just living regular life. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, we're reading Hamlet, you know, like Mm -hmm. start getting into what it is that we love to do, especially these past two and a half years have been, and we've gotten to do like, I don't know how many plays we've done, but. Eleven. 11 plays. There you go. Well, I think you did less, but Frank and I have started. We did 11. So, wow. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think it must be like seven or eight. So, when I'm, you know, mm-hmm. 
We've done quite a lot. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to find a way to do what we do and pick up a play, read it, research it, work on it, and then just Mm -hmm. dive in. Yeah. It's good therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Wow. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. In our next episode, we talk about the characters of Polonius and Guildenstern, played by Emmanuel Todorov.